Notes, drink, pen, let's go. Let's do it. Let's hit it. I'm Stephanie. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, guys. (laughs) I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And this is Dead Dead Time Time Stories. Welcome to episode 16. 16. Yes, Queen 16. We did it. We made it. Everyone, we made it. We did. We made it to sweet 16. Aw. Got some messed up stories today (laughs) so sit back and enjoy yeah how's it going sarah i mean we bantered a little bit upstairs and around getting ready to record yeah we made sure to take care of all the good stuff before we started recording mary angela (laughs) and eric aren't here so we're partying we invited all our friends over we did you guys might hear them in the background Halen's getting most Good time stories, the best podcast ever. That is what they're saying, though. They are saying that. That part's true. (laughs) Guys, can you turn it down, though? Because we're trying to record an episode down here. Okay, we're so sorry. I love you. Well, I love you. That was so nice. They were so nice. What nice fans. I know. That was very sweet of them. Great fans. All three of them. (laughs) So, yeah, we are uh, recording in our usual studio space uh, in the basement of Mary Angela and Eric's house. Um, And we. Made ourselves uh, a drink with some. What are you? What are we drinking today, Sarah? Uh, we're not. No, <laughs> we're not promoing them this episode. <laughs> no, I know. I, no, I mean we can we can chat it to them. We love we them anyway. So it's weird. No, but we are. Stuff. We're drinking uh, Svedka strawberry lemonade vodka, uh, found in Mary Angela's Mary alcohol, Angela's cupboard, alcohol cupboard. cupboard with some uh, ginger ale. So thank you, Mary Angela. Thank you, Mary Angela. Um, I would give it four out of five. <laughs> Um, no, it's it's yummy, especially with this ginger ale. It's like a little summer spritzer. I'm into it. Yeah, it's good. It's good. You know what? What? Chicken butt. Hold on. I wrote down a few notes on something. Oh, did you? That I wanted to talk about that I heard on the radio the other day, and oh. I was like, I have to talk about this on the podcast. Um, and it's not a whole lot, and I didn't do a ton of research into it. But all I have to do is tell you what it is, and um. Apparently, a few weeks ago in Wheeling, Virginia, okay. they had a rogue pooper. This you is very would. serious, you guys. You listen, would listen, listen. Do the um, do the unsolved murders. Da 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 it's the headphones. It's, it's the good, headphones. It's a good Robert Stagg you got going mm-hmm. there. Town. in the cadence. A town being good. rocked by something you wouldn't expect. Bubble. It's the story of the rogue pooper. It is. Yeah, no, apparently some dude was going around and just shitting on stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like where? Um, one of them, uh, they found one it. One of them. One of them was fair. on a uh, someone's bike seat. I remember them mentioning that. The biggest thing that they were finding was he would go into cars in uh, auto garage shop parking lots that were unlocked and sleep there for the night and then take his morning shit and then leave in the car. car. And so people were getting their cars back 
and finding a little extra treat in the seat. <laughs> hi And I don't know if they found out who it was because I didn't do a ton of research, but I heard it on the radio and I literally at a stoplight jotted this down in the notebook and I just remembered the few talking points and I knew I just had to bring it up real fast. We had a ro- another rogue pooper, you guys. We don't think it's a superintendent, though. Also, no update yet on the superintendent and his one million, but I'm, I'm keeping tabs on it. Um, I promise. That reminds me of I'm debating on whether or not I'm gonna like say this, but I'm like, here I go. Just do it. Um, one time when I was a child, <gasps> I um peed in a dressing room of a fashion bug. <laughs> <laughs> Just the one time. So, did you go? Into the dressing room with the intention of going pee. I did. Because I went to several places to ask if they would let me pee and they wouldn't let me pee. And I was like, I'm going to pee myself. Like, I need to pee somewhere. And I went into a fashion bug. (laughs) I was waiting in the car for my mom. um, And I don't know. I think she was in the Walmart. Um, but like, they wouldn't let me pee there for some reason, which what I like Walmart always. Why couldn't you get into Walmart? No, I could get in, but they oh. wouldn't let me pee. Like, I don't know if they were, like, cleaning the bathrooms or whatever. Ugh. I don't remember that much. But um, I went to a bunch of places, and then finally I went to the fashion bug and, like, grabbed a pair of jeans and was like, can I use the dressing room? And I went into the dressing room, and I peed in the dressing room and, like, ran out. Did you pee on the jeans? No. I oh, put the jeans the, in the hair. The I jeans peed, like, on, like, on the seat. Oh, on the, I was going to say, so did you pee? Did you pop a squat in the corner? No, like I like it was, I was like, like on I'm, the bench. I'm like I'm a child. I need to sit to pee. <laughs> pee on the bench. You're welcome. The world is <laughs> the problem is is like you're one of probably eight children who peed in that store that day. That day. That day. That day. I worked was at a it clothing store with dressing rooms. Nobody ever peed in them. Oh, I have a story about working in a dressing a clothing store Adelia's. with a dress Adelia's. Yes. <laughs> So as no one, because we haven't mentioned it on the podcast, three years in college, I worked at Delia's. Sarah loves Delia's, I love, okay, old Delia's. Back when, <laughs> lowercase d, uppercase e, um, back when it was still good quality clothing. Listen, I've had jeans since high school that are still. They still have. And the, here's the thing. The bottom hems, they're not ripped. They have held Oh, she loves. I love it. It's solid quality clothing. So I worked there for three years when I was in college and I left because they wouldn't make me a manager or give me a raise, but it's fine. Whatever. Um, This didn't happen to me, but this happened to my manager and she told me about it. Apparently, it was a Black Friday and this family came in. And she kind of noticed that, like, there was a grandmother with them, but the grandmother wasn't that old. And they had a lot of bags, like shopping bags. And so they're walking around, blah, blah, blah. And if you know Delia's, you know that they have, like, tables of varying heights set up. And if you're a parent walking around, especially if you're a dad, you like to move those clothes over, sit down, and just sit there like it's a fucking bench for you to sit on, right? So this lady's – it's not, and that's rude, but whatever – This lady sits down and she says she notices her and she looks like the lady doesn't look like she feels well, but she doesn't think too much of it. She then, I can't remember the exact chain of events, but she notices the woman like lean over and do something and then get back up. And she's like, okay, that's weird. And then they go to try on clothes and she like walks with them 
and then they try on clothes and then really quickly they like go out and leave. And turns out the woman had leaned over. She had thrown up in that bag. They had gone into the dressing room. She had left it in the dressing room. So they go in and they are like dealing with that. And there's like a mess in the dressing room. And then as they're doing other things, my manager's like, I just kept smelling that smell, like smelling the smell of vomit. And we cleaned it and we couldn't get rid of it. And finally, I walked by this rack that had jeans hanging. And it's like a pegboard rack. So there's like three um, racks sticking out of it. And then the jeans are hanging like 10 to a rack deep. Right. And they were corduroys. And she said, I just kept smelling it. And then I look over there and I push these corduroys back and back behind these corduroys on this peg wall, that lady had barfed again and all on those jeans and all there as well. And I was just like, oh, my God, that's awful. And they don't, it's not like you call mall custodial to like clean that up. That's you. So that's girls in high school cleaning up this vomit from this woman who I guess went to Cheesecake Factory and her eyes were bigger than her stomach. I don't know. But yeah, I'm so (laughs) glad that wasn't me. And that's just one of my many retail stories about crazy customers. This opening banter. um, Well, I was going to say one time when I was working in the Apple store. I worked at um, the Fifth Avenue Apple Store, which is the big glass cube. And then, like, you go, it's in New York. Um, and you go in the front door, and, like, you go down spiral stairs, like, into the, like, underground, which is where the store actually is. And people want to fucking stop and take pictures on the stairs. And there's, like, 500 people trying to go up and down the stairs. And you're like, get off the fucking stairs, you asshole. Anyway, I was working greeter one day. So I'm, like, at the front when you first come down the stairs. So I'm standing there with my iPad, like, greeting people, like, hi, welcome to the Apple Store. What can I help you with? And. <laughs> I'm working one day and I hear this like splat like next to me and I look down and then I look up and it's like glass stairs, spiral staircase coming down and someone had like thrown up on the stairs and it was coming like through the (gasps) stairs landing next to me. Oh my God. Aren't you so glad you were not three inches from Right. And I was like, whoa. And I like walked away and I, I remember I went to my manager and I was like, I was like, I didn't get it on me, but, like, is it okay? Can I, like, have a few minutes? Like, I need a few minutes, like, off the floor. She was like, that's okay. And I, like, went off just like, huh, huh, huh. Um, I'm sick but just hearing about that. At, at the Apple store, they do have a custodial staff that isn't the people that work there. Ugh. Right? And I and was like, should. oh, I'm so sorry, you guys. But, like, I didn't have to take care of that. Ugh. Yeah, no. The worst I ever had to take care of at Delia's was... <laughs> Welcome to this episode, you guys. <laughs> ...was a nail polish. Girls fucking. Because they oh. always they always kept nail polish like, there that's at not the gross. stand. That's, like, it's infuriating. Yeah, like, that's so hard to clean up. Because then the smell is there for forever, yes. and every middle-aged Ugh. and older white woman who walks up goes, mm, it smells up here and I'm like yes bitch. Like, bitch I know and I have to fucking work in these uh, fucking Thank, uh, yeah I know I'm huffing it yeah. to deal with oh, you I will tell this story another time but I have a really great story about when I was working at the bridal salon Yeah, about some drunk bitches but that's a nice long story that we will get into later maybe we'll save that as a funny story whenever we tell a really fucked up story so yeah. if your story really rattles us remind me to talk about the drunk bitches okay. at the Are, bridal did store you, was that all you was that all you were going to talk about this episode was the pooper or did you have another thing to talk about this oh no i have another subject that okay. was just like my opening I banter like, opening, right yeah what are you talking about today sarah cool so i'm gonna take a drink real fast well because this episode's real messed up y'all so like be ready <laughs> I mean, that was just the intro. Here we go. Poop is just the beginning. 
So, what I want to talk about this week isn't a story, and it's not a haunting, and it's nothing like that. It's more of just a talking point of something that I've been fascinated with ever since I discovered it online years and years and years and years and years ago. And I think it's something that like I've mentioned before and that we've maybe talked about, but um, what I'm going to like bring up and talk about today is post-mortem photography. Okay, yeah. <clears throat> so post-mortem photography is what it sounds like, which is afterlife photography. So it's a picture of a dead person. Mm. Uh, no, it's just a picture of a dead anything. Right. Um, so, you know, there's you can have a postmortem picture of your dog or, you know, anything. You know, recently, today, a lot of the postmortem photography that you have is more of crime scene pictures and things like that. But what I'm going to talk about is I'm going to talk about the Victorian era postmortem photography that was more of an actual type of photography in the sense of there was a way that they would pose people there was a thing that they would do and talk about what that was and why I think it's interesting and okay. see what other people feel about it because I stumbled upon it and I was like wow this is really weird I'm looking at this picture of a dead person sure. because in western civilization and I think I've talked about this before we tend to want to hide it and hide yes. death and make it look pretty and put it behind closed doors and when someone dies in a hospital their body is whisked away very quietly to very distance ourselves yeah, from, from death we just completely want to ignore it and not acknowledge it not hear dead time stories yeah that's, you know, it's what we talk about. We should all talk about it. It's part of life. Um, there's a wonderful, wonderful book also that's just like spurred more of my interest in all of this. And that is uh, Smoke Gets in Your Eyes and Other Tales from the Crematory. Yes, I've heard you talk about And this. it's by um, Caitlin Doherty. Uh, it's by Caitlin Doherty. And it's very good. So postmortem photography uh, in and of itself started in the early 19th, 19th century. So we're talking like 1840. And that came about right around the same time that photography itself became more accessible, which was when this type of photography came out called, I'm going to butcher this uh, pronunciation, I'm sure, the daguerreotype, daguerreotype. Um, and it was I a- I believe it's daguerreotype. Daguerreotype. There's an O in there though. Anyways, English. Um, we'll, you know, put it in the show notes. And that type of photography- just made it more accessible to more people. And I could get into the specific reasons why it was on like a tin plate and things like that. Yes. But that's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm here to talk about why people took these pictures. So people used to get a portrait made and that's what they had of their family. But that's if you had enough money to be able to have someone draw your picture. And photography at the time was not as easily accessible. And it took long, you know, to sit and wait for that to happen. Once that came around and people were able to take pictures of their loved ones, it was still expensive. So typically you would take a picture when they died. During the Victorian era, your main issue was children were dying. Right. And you had no picture of your three-year-old child. You had nothing to remember your three-year-old child by. And then they get sick and they die. So that's when you get the picture made and that's what you have to remember it. So it's really being taken as a memorial, a type of remembrance, and you have to remember that they're doing it because they have no other no other means of remembering this loved one other than the money that they can spend when they die to get their picture taken. 
Yeah, that was really all I have on that. And then I'm just going to riff about it a little bit more because I just find that really interesting. Nowadays, we take pictures of everything all the time. We have pictures of our children the moment they're born. You have everything that you want. And so we look at these pictures, you see them online, and it, they're jarring. And a lot of people are like, oh, my God, gross. How could you do that? That's all that they had. Mm-hmm. That's everything are these pictures. And you can find them. And, yeah, they are the Victorian era. So, of course, people associate that. That was kind of a messed up period. It wasn't the best. But I just think that it's really interesting to then have that and have that be the picture that you have to to remember your loved one. The picture that you put on your mantle, yeah. picture that you hang on your wall. Some of them were even made into little like postcards you can give out to your loved ones. I'm, you know, so and so died. Here's our picture. Which, you know, if you think about it nowadays, if you go to a funeral and you get a, I almost called it a playbill. You get the, you get the little pamphlet. You get the little program. There's always a picture. There's always a picture there of who that person was. Now, that's the other thing about postmortem photography, though, is there was a little bit of a trend in the beginning of just staging them like they were sleeping. And they want them to look peaceful. They want them to look, you know, this is, we know that they're dead, but here they are. They're peaceful. This is our closure. Mm -hmm. And so you have a lot of them sleeping on a bed, eyes closed. As time went on, I think there was a little more of a trend towards wanting them to seem a little more lifelike. Slash, sometimes you could get the photographer there sooner. Um, So you start to see more of people who are maybe sitting up. People who are maybe have their eyes open. And some of them you'll find have like eyes painted onto the eyelids. Those are the ones that are really creepy. creepy. The other thing that is super creepy about it as you look at the pictures is you can give them like a passing glance. And I'm going to show you some in a minute. But you can give them a passing glance and be like, yeah, no, that's, you know, it's people. But then when you look at it a little bit more, you're like, oh, they're dead. yeah, there's Whoa. no, there's really no life there. So, yeah. And then I'm going to talk about one other part with it. But I'm going to show you some of these pictures first because I made a Pinterest of them. <laughs> and that's the best way to do it. I love you. And I'm just going to let you sort through them. Here's a few. Again, most of them are children because a lot of people lost their kids. Right. Oof. So, yeah, we'll post a few of these. They're all very tastefully done, but it's just, it's a completely different, it's a different mindset and it's a different look at death. And it's, it's more acknowledging it. And I think that we're just freaked out because we don't associate and we, push it away and we don't acknowledge it and I don't know if that's necessarily healthy there's also one on there you'll see that the photographer wasn't able to get there before she started to decompose I do I see the decomposition one I also see the one that's been like colorized after the fact Mm -hmm. that one is the one that I'm like really of the kid yeah, yeah that one's like tough there's also the one of the girl sitting with her parents yeah. and she's clear and they're a little blurry because she was still, she was really because still, she was dead, mm-hmm. and they were a little shaky because they were alive. Yep. Now the other thing you'll notice is I don't really have any of them in there that show people standing. Now, when you search postmortem photography, you're going to see a lot of pictures of people standing and people saying that these people are dead. They're standing. Look, they have this. If you look behind them, they have this thing propping them up, and that proves that they're dead. Unfortunately, that's not true. And so when you come across those, nine times out of ten, you're like, wow, that person looks so alive and they're standing there. Yeah, that's because they are alive. The pictures took a little while to 
happen. And so if you're standing there and trying to stay still, they used a brace. And so it's like a stand and a brace behind them to hold them up. Like a doll. Like a doll stand, basically. Yeah, exactly. There is one, however, and I couldn't find a good picture of it. That is a girl who I'm pretty sure she is dead standing between her two parents. And that's probably the one that creeps me out the most. But yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think it's it's interesting up there just like um, Victorian hair art and how you would keep the hair of a loved one and you can make intricate yeah. art with it. You'll find a lot of like hair pieces. And that's still a thing that is done present day. Yeah. And I think that's really neat to keep, you know, to keep that kind of part of a loved one. Wow. You'll also see a fair amount of postmortem photography from morticians and embalmers wanting to show off their skill. Yeah. So I came across a handful when I was looking of them boasting like, this is 14 days after they died. This is four months after they died. Look how good they look. Well, I know you've talked about, is it Miss Ann Jemmy? Yes. And she's um she is in Philadelphia. She is in Philadelphia. I told you I've met her actually. She used to no, she I'm gets so pierced jealous. at Infinite, which is a piercing shop where I used to work here in Philadelphia. Yep. She is she's been featured on BuzzFeed, but she has an Instagram um at Miss M R S Mrs. underscore and Jemmy, I'm pretty sure. A N G E M I. And she is a probably gonna get it wrong isn't she like a i don't know some sort of like forensic mortician yeah she's like a mortician in a sense but she approaches like you know diseases in the body weird things with the body it's just really cool go check her out <laughs> i was like you're gonna look her up give a description i am i wasn't prepared so yeah she her her um her instagram has 1.6 million followers yeah she describes great. her as a wife, mother, human dissector, <laughs> uh, I heart autopsy. She does autopsies. And she has an education website. She has an MS, a PA, and an ASCP, which I don't know what any of those things are. But she's got a lot of degrees. She is cool. But she also has a bunch of tattoos and piercings. And she takes pictures of her autopsies and stuff. If you want to check her out, Mrs. underscore and Jemmy, A-N-G-E-M-I. G-E-M-I, yes. Yes. <laughs> She's awesome. So, yeah, that was my little, little bitty thing. I knew you had a heavy story. So I was like, I just wanted to touch I on do. this little thing. And if anyone is, like, intrigued by that idea of, like, postmortem photography or whatever, you can look it up. There's, like, you know, a whole bunch of stuff on Pinterest about it. And yeah. you can Google it. And we will post a few pictures. Um, but we'll put disclaimers, of course, because it is a dead body. But, again, this is all very tastefully done. You have to remember that this is this was how people remembered each other. Yeah. They didn't have Snapchat and Facebook or Polaroids. This is all that they had. They didn't have Instagram, but Mm-mm. we do. And it's at Dead, Dead Time Stories. Stories. All one word with a G on Instagram. Check us out. So real fast also, you guys might have noticed that we have been plugging some other favorite podcasts of ours because even though we record a podcast, we also listen to them and we're big fans of a few. And we have the wonderful, wonderful privilege of being able to actually be friends and partner with a few of the ones that we really like a lot. So... This week, we want to introduce you guys to the guys over at Conspiranalysis. Um, They do some pretty cool, weird stories, and uh, I'll let them kind of explain themselves. So uh, take it away, guys. Welcome back to the Conspiranalysis Podcast. My name is Nick, and I'm joined by my co-host, Shaggy. We're going to tell people about how we talk about all things conspiracy. 
conspiranormally. We talk about all things conspiranormally and paranormally speaking. Correct? I don't know. And then we got to add that we're on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Stitcher Instagram, yeah. email. We're part of a paranormal team. It's on YouTube, paraholics.com. No, absolutely nothing. No, nothing we at like all. To now, and I'll, I'll like say this. this. A lot of people say we do little to no research, but we literally do little to no. We don't do any research. We, we just, have just no record. research assistance. We work full-time. Hey, hey, Go for it, Shaggy. Slow down, slow down. The earth is flat. I mean, you can always read the person. Yeah, the, the, uh, what's, what's the Are you mumbling again? Shut up. <laughs> uh, email us. But we're not on Facebook. Fuck Facebook. We hate Facebook. Yeah. I'm sorry. I can't. fucking assholes. So, yeah, other than that, thank you for listening. Bye. Yeah, and Yay, so, yeah. so thank you. And I know Shaggy over there um, is like a... He's Big fan of ours. Hey, look buddy. at Christina. <laughs> at Kstina5, um, who is one of our biggest fans. Good friend of mine, Christina. She does awesome out, bullet though. journal videos. Um, and she is usually, she's often like listening to dead time stories. So Sarah's often like, uh-oh, so-and-so's gunning for Christina's number one spot. <laughs> Which is a song by Jay-Z, I think. No, it's ludicrous. What am I thinking? That's ludicrous. Number one spot. Oh, that's definitely ludicrous because it's got that Austin Powers. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I can't do that. Dun, 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 dun. So I've got a really fucked up story. Today. Hold on, let me settle in. I got my drink. Okay. This um, oh, might be the most messed up thing that I've ever talked about. Me and Sarah earlier were like, are we going to have a, is this a contest? Because she's got something ready for next week. Ooh, I'm um, coming for you, girl. Coming for the number one spot. Um, so anyway, uh, this is definitely like the most fucked up thing I've ever talked about. So I mean, in all seriousness, like trigger warning, there is all sorts of fucked up stuff that's coming. It's like I don't want to give it away, but I'm also like, it's messed up. So like rape, like incest, like imprisonment, like all sorts of shit. Which spoiler alert. Um, so oh my God, are you talking about? I think you're talking about. I'm talking about the Fritzel case. <gasps> You are. This shit is so fucked yeah. up. Yeah, I didn't know how much you knew about it. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so um, yes, sugar warning, guys. If this you're is not seriously into it, the turn most it off. messed up thing I've ever talked about on this show. So um, <sighs> it yeah. is really messed up. Okay. All right. Hit me with it again. Let's go. So here we go. So this takes place in Amstead, in Austria, over like the course of like the 80s and 90s, right? So there's a guy. His name is Joseph Fritzl. And he married a woman named Rosemarie Fritzl. Uh, this was in, was he born in 1956? They got married. They got married in 1956, I believe. So they got married in 1956. Joseph was 21. Rosemarie was 17. So they had seven children. They had two sons and five daughters. I believe the, I don't know if she was the oldest. I think she was the oldest, um, at least the oldest daughter. Her name was Elizabeth. And she finished school when she was 15. And she was going to school to be, a waitress after that um and she left waitress school and she ran away from home to vienna um when she was like 15 years old and um they found her in like three weeks and like took her back okay so her dad for a long time joseph was like working in the basement so he built like machinery and stuff and he was like renovating the basement um where he would like work all the time and the last time anybody saw Elizabeth was he had asked her to, like, help him 
move like this door into the basement. Um, and she did that, and that was the last time anybody saw her, right? And she disappeared. And within a couple hours, her mom was like filing a police report. She's like, Elizabeth is gone. And they're like, you know what? She ran away a couple years ago when she was 15. This is when she was 18. So they're like, she ran away a couple years ago. She probably ran away again. But like, we'll keep an eye out, right? Like, we're going to look out for her. So that was that, right? After like a month, um, they got a letter from a company or, or country, sorry, I think called Bauna. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. And it was in Elizabeth's handwriting and it said not to look for her. Like, don't worry about her. She's fine. But she's like run away and she's never coming back. Like, she's gone. And the dad was like, she probably joined a cult. Like, she's like the type. It's whatever. <laughs> you know that girl. She's the culty type. Right? He's like, it's whatever. It doesn't matter. She disappeared, I believe, in 1984. Okay? So about eight years later... Uh, in August of 1992, there was a baby that showed up on their doorstep. The baby was about nine months old, and her they named her Lisa, and she was left behind um, by Elizabeth with a note, right, that said, like, hey, take care of my baby for me. And they're like, what the fuck? This isn't the fire station. <laughs> no, like, she just left it on her parents' doorstep, this and note with the baby that was like, hey, this is my baby Lisa, like, I can't take care of her. You know, you can leave a baby at a fire station, right? I do. Within, like, there's a certain amount of time, but you can leave a baby at a fire station, right? And there's, like, no questions asked. Wait, so you're not allowed to take it when it's, like, three years old and it mouthed off? No. It's, like, a couple. It's, like, a couple months, I think. Oops. Anyway. So that happened, right? So then they took it. They talked to social services. They're, like, our daughter left this baby on our doorstep with a note. Like, we're just going to take it in. And they were, like, all right. So they were, like, fostering this baby, right? So then two years later, December um, 1994, or yeah, December 1994, a 10-month-old baby named Monica shows up in a stroller outside the entrance to the house. Um, shortly afterward, Rosemary receives a phone call asking her to take care of the child, and she says that the caller sounds like Elizabeth, right? She reported the incident to the police, expressing that she was astonished that Elizabeth had their new unlisted phone number. But she left another baby there. So then two years later, in 1996, another baby shows up. Jesus Alexander. Christ. Alexander is only three. or uh, No, at that time, he's 15 months old. Um, and he was discovered in similar circumstances to the other two babies. Okay. But he was alive for a year. He was 15 months old, yes. So he was yeah. a little over a year old. Okay. So that all happens. Then in 2008, okay, so this is over a decade later, right? A girl named Kirsten uh, is brought to the emergency room by uh, Joseph Fritzel. And he says that Kirsten is, even though she's 19, so older than all the other kids, that this is another kid of Elizabeth's. And that she's ill uh, and she needs to be taken care of, right? So then a couple days later, that was on the 19th that uh, Kirsten went to the hospital. So uh, on April 26th, so this is like a week later, um, Elizabeth shows up. Okay, she's been gone for 24 years. And Joseph's like, Elizabeth's home. Rosemary, <laughs> our daughter, has been gone for 24 years. She's here and she's there and she has three other kids with her, okay? 
So there have been four kids that were um, left on like the parents' doorstep, which were Lisa, Monica, uh, and Alexander. Was there another one? That's three kids. Christ- Kirsten doesn't count. Right. Kirsten wasn't left on the doorstep. Right. Like Kirsten was there. But aside from Kirsten, um, she has other kids with her. And the other kids are Stefan uh, and Felix. Okay. And then Kirsten is in the hospital. So, so wait, so there's five kids in total? No, one, two, three, four, five, six kids in total said to be had by this girl? Yes. And three of them were like left on the parents' doorstep for the parents to raise. And then she had three other ones with her. Okay. Okay. So she goes to the hospital to go see Kirsten in the hospital. Um, And the police are like, your daughter is malnourished. Like, she's got all these things wrong with her. Like, we're going to take you in. Like, you're a terrible mother. Like, what's going on? What's going on? And she's like, she, you know, refuses to tell them anything, refuses to tell them anything. And then finally she's like, okay, I will tell you everything that there is to know under the one condition that you guarantee me that I never have to see my father, Joseph Fritzel, ever again. And they were like, okay, girl, spill the tea. What happened? Girl, what happened to you? You're not ready. So remember he was like building in that basement, right? He was building in that basement for years, like from the late 70s onward. So basically what his family didn't know was that he had expanded the basement underground and built like a prison cell down there. And he was working on it for years, okay? So if you came into the basement, you wouldn't even know this was there because there was like a secret passageway and there were like five, a series of five doors before you ever got to this prison cell that this man built, okay? And in 1984, when his daughter was 18 years old, he was like, hey, will you help me with this door, like taking it down to the basement? She's like, yeah, sure, no problem. He takes her down there. She helps him put up the door. And it's the last in the series of doors to lock her into the basement where he then uh, put like ether over her face and knocked her out and kept her in the basement. And he kept her in that basement for 24 years where he would... Basically, like, he raped her a lot. All of the babies were his babies with his own daughter. He would go there, like, every three days to bring them food and, like, supplies and stuff. But people said that he went down to work in the basement every day. Every day at 9 o'clock in the morning, he was down in the basement working because he was building machines. He was doing whatever. But he didn't go into the cell every day. Like, but he was down in that basement every single day. Oh, my God. So to backtrack with all the children, because there were children that she had that stayed in the cellar, and then there were children that she had that he took upstairs, okay? So uh, in 1977, Joseph Fritzl began sexually assaulting Elizabeth. She was 11 years old at the time when it started. I was going to ask that. I was going to say, did he start assaulting her before? Before. Yes. Uh, From 81 to 82, Fritzl begins to turn the hidden cellar into a prison cell down in the basement. So basically there was um, what other people didn't know was that their basement basically already had a passage to the basement of the property over next to them where um, it had been shut off. So nobody was in that part of the basement. So there was like a tunnel to another part of the basement that no one else in the house knew about because he had shut it off. So he was the only one that knew that was there. 
And he turned it into what his he turned it into. His little mole house to keep his daughter wife. So on August 28th, 84, Fritzel lures 18-year-old Elizabeth into the basement, um, asking her for help with the door, and he imprisoned her. In November of 1986, Elizabeth had a miscarriage in the 10th week, 10th week of pregnancy. In August 88, Kirsten was born, and Kirsten lived in the cellar with her until 2008 when she was 19, and they took her to the hospital. So she's the first child she's the that first child. had? Yes. Oh. Two years later, she had her second child um, in February of 1990, Stefan, who was another one who lived in the cellar, never went up. August 1992, Lisa is born. In May 93, at nine months old, she's discovered outside the family home in a cardboard box allegedly left by Elizabeth with a note asking for the child to be looked after. In 1993, after repeated requests from Elizabeth, Fritzel allowed for the enlargement of the prison, putting Elizabeth and her children to work for years digging at the soil with their bare hands. The prison uh, was enlarged from 380 square feet to 600 square feet. They doubled it Not with even. their bare hands. Just but, about yes. 380 to 600? Yes. yes, with their bare hands. Um, February 1994, the fourth child, Monica, was born. And December of 94 is when 10-month-old Monica was found in a stroller outside the entrance to the house. Uh, and that's when Rosemary received a call asking her to take care of the child. Uh, and the caller sounded like Elizabeth. Um, but it's assumed that Fritzel used a recording of her voice, like told her what to say, recorded it, and didn't actually let her talk to her. Uh, Rosemary reported the incident to the police, expressing astonishment that Elizabeth knew their new unlisted phone number. In April of 96, Elizabeth gave birth to twin boys. So one of them died after less than three days. And Fritzel removed and cremated the body. The surviving twin, Alexander, was taken upstairs at 15 months old and discovered in similar circumstances to his two older sisters. So do we know why Lisa, Monica, and Alexander were the chosen ones? Um, I think it was a matter of, like, she couldn't, like, he knew she couldn't take care of them. Um, but because she... Like, he went back and forth, right? Because then there was one more, which was Felix, who was born in December of 2002. Felix was born, and according to his statement by Fritzel, he kept Felix in the basement because his wife could not look after another child. I think by the time they had the idea to start taking the babies upstairs, the other ones were too old, I guess, to the point where he was afraid they would talk. Mm. You know, and like mention like where they were or whatever. By the time they came up with the idea to start taking him upstairs and saying like he found them, like they were all still young enough. They wouldn't like remember or talk about anything. You say they. So him and Elizabeth decided. No, I just mean they like the multiple children, like to keep them all down there. By the time like by the time he decided like, oh, we could take the babies up. The first baby was four. Yeah. Like, I feel like that was when he, like, when he came up with the idea that maybe that was a thing that they could pull off. the babies down here. Um, Those two were, like, too old to the point where, like, they might talk. Because those two were were four and two at the time. And could have had the capacity to talk about what they remembered in the basement. That makes sense. Um, That's just my own personal theory. Yeah. So April 19th, 2008, Fritzel arranges for the critically ill 19-year-old Kirsten to be taken to the hospital. April 26, 2008, during the evening, Fritzel releases Elizabeth, Stefan, and Felix from the cellar and brings them upstairs, informing his wife that Elizabeth has decided to come home after her 24-year absence. 
Later that evening, after an anonymous tip during a visit to the hospital, Fritzel and Elizabeth are taken into police custody, where she reveals her decades-long imprisonment during questioning. March 19th, 2009, after a four-day trial. Only Hold four on. Day. Yep. Anonymous tip. Who who snitched? She did. Oh, she was the- When she was at the hospital. Oh, okay, okay, okay. They okay, were like, it. we're taking you into custody because your kid's fucked up. What's wrong with your kid? What's wrong with your kid? And while she was in custody, she was like, all right, I'll tell you what the fuck happened if you promise that I never have to see my dad ever again. Cool. He prisoned me. Okay, great. Great. Made me have his and babies. And they were like, cool, go home and then we'll pretend to We'll take it from you. here. Okay. Um, okay, cool. Like, they had her because they had her because they had her on, like, child abuse charges. Mm-hmm. But then when she explained the situation, like, she went from being, like, a suspect to a victim. A victim, right? yeah. So, uh, March 19th, 2009, after a four-day trial in the town of St. Poulton, just days before his 74th birthday, Fritzl pleads guilty to the charges of murder by negligence of his son slash grandson, Michael, because they were the twins, um... Michael and Alexander. Son slash grandson. Yes. I know. Uh, Uh, As well as decades of enslavement, incest, rape, coercion, and false imprisonment of his own daughter, Elizabeth, and is sentenced to life imprisonment. So I saw today, which I I read about this case before, but today what I saw, which I had never seen before, was like I saw kind of, not kind of, I saw like the space. Like I saw pictures of like where he had them. And it's weird because, like, so they had, like, a toilet and they had, like, a refrigerator and, like, a hot plate and they had, like, a TV. Um, not that I'm saying, like, he gave them accommodations. No, like, yeah. Not in any way. Like he, like, he had those things. But it's, like, everything is, like, tile and it's this, like, basement prison cell. Yeah. And it's just behind walls, behind walls, behind walls. Because people are, like, how did his wife not know? And it's not, like... You came down the stairs and, like, oh, my God, she was right here the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was, like, hidden and then hidden and then hidden and then hidden. That's – what was his wife's reaction to finding out? Oh, my God, that her life was ruined, that it was all awful and that she couldn't – like, that she, like, blamed herself, like, felt awful. Like, how did I not know? How did I – this is all I terrible. can't even imagine. Um, and knowing that you were still, like, going to sleep next to – this person. That man. Fritzel told Elizabeth and the three children in the basement, which were Kirsten, Stefan, and Felix, that they would be gassed if they ever tried to escape. And he told them that they would die of electric shock if they opened the door. All of that turned out to be empty threats. Yeah. Like he didn't actually have those things in place. But when he would pun- would punish them, he would turn off the lights or he would refuse to bring them food for extended periods of time. He, uh, like I said earlier, he went to the basement every day at 9 a.m., even though he only went to see them every three days. That's so fucked up. Um, to go work. And sometimes he would work late into the night and insist his wife not bring him coffee. They, at one point, had a tenant on the ground floor of their house who said that he heard noises coming from the basement. And Joseph told him that it was just the gas heating system that was making those, like, screams and cries in the night. <sighs> So, yeah, her own father kept her in the basement. Did um, he ever say – did he ever assault any of her siblings? Did he ever say I why? I couldn't find anything about whether or not he had ever done anything to the other kids. As far as why, he said that, like, he just always had this, like, like this fantasy of having, like, total control over someone's, like, entire body and their sexuality and their, like, just being in total, total control of it. Like, it was just a freakish – like obsession that he had his whole life and he 
The thing is, he spent years building that cell. I know, he and planned he knew. For years that he was going to do that to his own daughter. Did he start building it before he started assaulting her? Or did he start assaulting her first? Well, he started assaulting her when she was... So when she was 11. 11. It says in 19... How old was... When was she 11? What year would that have been? She was 18 in 84. So in 76 is when he started assaulting her. 77 is when he started building the basement. And then... That's awful. Took her down there in 84, so that was like five years of planning. That's so awful. Yeah. He pled guilty. He's in prison for life. Her and her children changed their names and are trying to live a normal life somewhere else. How do you live a normal life after that? That's a great question. Especially when you got out in 2008. That wasn't that long that ago. 10 years ago. I'm like, it was 10 years ago, but on, I mean, I don't know. I guess I feel like when I think of- No, I'm like, you're right. That wasn't long ago. It wasn't that long ago. And she was in there. She was in in that cell longer than she's been out. She was in that cell for 24 years. So she was in there since, you said, 80s. 84. So she came out and all of a sudden the internet was a thing. Yeah. She came out and we all had smartphones. And so she was probably like, what the fuck? If you've ever read the book or seen the movie Room with, oh my God, what is her name? She won the Oscar, didn't she? Shit. Allison. Hmm. Brie. It's not Allison Brie because I'm like, I want to say Allison Brie, and Allison Brie is the girl who's on every Netflix show. Right. Room. Are you sure it's Allison? I'm like 90% sure. Room. Allison. You're right. It is Allison Brie. Okay. Yes. Allison Brie, who's in the movie Room. Um, but yes, it's based on the book Room, which is based on this story, and it is fucked up, but the real story is way more fucked up. It's even it's even worse. It's so awful. Um, so yeah, and it's not I am like it's not an unsolved mystery. Like it's totally solved. We, know what happened. Um, I, we just what I brought you is just like the most messed up thing I could think to to bring you. And I was like, Am I gonna tell about this? Am I gonna talk? This is so fucked up. And then I did. It is. It's so, and like to have, I mean, number one, that he was assaulting her and molesting her, but then also like she had six other siblings. Yeah. And he just, and he ruined everyone's lives. Yeah. God. Just, and then you had kids who have lived underground for almost two decades. Yes. The oldest grew one was up 19. Before what do she they do? Don't you have a deficiency when you don't have any sunlight? Right. Well, that was one of the many things that was wrong with her. They talked about how she was really pale. She was really malnourished. She was really frail, skinny. She was all fucked up. They were like, wow. what, how did she get in this condition? What happened? That's crazy. That's crazy that a person can live like that. Like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's fucked up. How do you think they spent their days? They had a TV and a cassette player. Oh, Stephanie. I know. I know. It's awful. It's awful. I feel like the stories that hit the hardest are also the ones where people are betrayed by a family oh, member. I know. Her own father. Her own father. That's her so fucked. Yeah, no. I'm sorry. It's, that's right, terrible. So you did that to us. I did. That's our dead time story. <laughs> you said you had a way to bring it back around if it was really bummery. If your dad asked you to go to the basement to help with a door, maybe think twice. Ugh, I wouldn't. I'm not I grew up in that. Texas. We don't have basements, so. Because <laughs> they would flood. Right? I grew up at the beach. 
our house was like not on stilts, but like yeah. off the ground by yeah. a couple feet. No basements, only attics. We had a crawl space, but you didn't <laughs> want to crawl in that way. No, you just throw the Christmas decorations up there at the end of the year and then somehow fish them back down again. Um, no, we wouldn't. I wouldn't even. Oh, no. you didn't do anything there. Oh, no, okay. no, it was not. It was just this space under the house that was literally made to like crawl. And oh, it was you meant gross. an underneath crawl yeah. space. I meant yeah. an above crawl space. Yeah, we didn't have one of those. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, we didn't have. No, you know what? That's a lie. When I lived in a double wide trailer in Edgewood for probably the majority of my like formative years, obviously it was concreted to the ground, but it sure. was still up. Mm-hmm. high enough to where wheels could fit under it yeah. so that it has the siding all around it but if you have to you can crawl under there gotcha and we had cats who would like to have babies under the house yeah we had a possum under ours one time yeah and then we also had one of the cats somehow got into the ac ducts underneath the house and had her babies mm. so we had babies running through the ducts so we at one point <laughs> had to had to pull up and like pull them out we could hear them oh my god that's crazy yeah I spent many a time crawling under that house. Trying to catch kittens. As a child, grabbing, yep, catching kittens. That's what we call. That's what they call me, catching kitten Sarah. Yeah, they did. No, they didn't. No one called me that. Sarah with an H. Cat, cat and kitchen. Kitchen, 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 kitten, 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 cat, Sarah, kitten, kitten, kit cat bar. What would you do for a kit cat bar? It's a contact bar. Guys, I'm Stephanie. Is, I'm Sarah, and this, this has is, been a doozy. <laughs> A doozy. doozy. Listen, no. No matter what, at the end of the day, at least we're not in Wheeling, Virginia, where they're dealing with a rogue pooper. It's true. We just, we know who's pooping in our house. It's Snoopy. It is. Sometimes <laughs> Xander. He poops in a box. But it smells. It does. He takes stinky poops. He does. It's he does. like he's a grown ass man. <sighs> Who are you telling? His mom. I'm Stephanie. I'm Zara. And again, this, this has is been Dead Time Stories. Make sure you follow us on Instagram, Dead Time Stories, all one word with a Z on Instagram. We're on Facebook. If you want to email us directly, tell us your own personal ghost stories or just tell us that you like us. Dead Time Stories, again with a Z, all one word at gmail.com. And we're still giving away stickers. If you want your very own Dead Time Stories sticker, all you have to do is review us on either iTunes or Facebook, take a screenshot, and then send it to us either at our email or slip into our DMs on any of our social media pages. And I've been seeing some of you guys been leaving some reviews and you ain't been messaging us. You're missing out on stickers, Stickers, bitch. So maybe you just haven't gotten to to the episodes yet where we talk about the stickers. That's what I'm saying because we've had a few really nice reviews. So thank you guys for reviewing us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. That's the best way you can help us out. Uh, Until we get a Patreon. But until then, uh, have a great day. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Bye. Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah Heddens and Stephanie C. Curtison. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Rennie Slackman.